losing my mind had been one of my greatest fears for a long time coming so i was like oh okay this is this is what's happening so lately i've been looking at fabrics again and just seeing beautiful clothes again Hi Genies, welcome to yet another mind-blowing Access Genie podcast episode. Today, I'm bringing you a trailblazer in the world of creativity and in the world of fashion. But before I introduce her, I hope you've subscribed to this channel. I want to take this moment to say thank you so very much to everyone of you who's watching podcasts every single Monday. And thank you for supporting us, sending us your well wishes and commenting. We really, really appreciate it. If you haven't subscribed, what are you waiting for? please press the subscribe button below. Now that is out of the way, we've got Rina Chunga Katama. She's the founder of Rich Factory. I'm sure many of you have been in her clothes. You've seen a lot of celebrities and people that you like in her clothes. Thank you so much, Rina, for joining us. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. I'm so excited to have you here. I think I last saw you in 2018, and at the time you were part of the Forbes 30 under 30 list. And since then, I've been really fascinated about the way in which you approach business and really how you just think through things and how mindful you are. So that's why it was important for me to reach out and ask you to be a part of this conversation. So thank you, thank you, thank you for coming through. My pleasure. I think it'll be great to recap sort of what the journey has been like between 2018 and 2023 yeah. yeah and I think so so much has changed talking mm -hmm. just about what the journey has been since then am I right to say you are taking more of a quiet personal profile compared to then because I don't think I see you as much in the media anymore but I see your clothes I see people in your clothes a lot but I don't think you are pushing the PR as much as you used to be is it just me or um, am I right in I, I definitely never used to push the PR intentionally there is a stage that I went through where I stopped um, allowing interviews but I'm sure even you remember when you, you might not remember, but you've done the, the, the 30 under 30 list so many times. I'm sure you've called so many people. But when you called me and you were like, oh, no, you're going to be on the list. I was like, mm, okay, thank you. <laughs> um, I don't so much. I, I know the fashion industry wants you to be out there as a face as well. I'm very much somebody who's comfortable being... In, in the background and just putting out the work. I love to see the work on people. Another thing that I did very intentionally, I think it was around 2019 is I stopped working with celebrities. Um, and it's because I felt that at the time the, the name was always mentioned almost as if it belonged to those celebrities. And also people felt that they could not access it because it was only for celebrities. And celebrities were not paying my bills. So I made it a conscious choice to not work with celebrities anymore and have the brand grow with the women that were actually my clients. Wow, that's so amazing. And it's such a bold step, right? Because for most people in the fashion space to say they've been successful, it's them seeing their designs in the big names and on international stages yet you took that step back and said no 
what impact has had, has that had on your business? Is it better for it or is it worse? It was great for my business. It was really good for my business. Um, I think I've gotten to know my clients so much that I'm now in a position where I get to grow with them. So as they are changing, we are changing together. And it's also more about them than it would be about basing my inspiration on one celebrity, one muse, and then trying to get all these other people to buy it. It's definitely been a much better thing for my business. Mm. And how was that transition like? I'm sure it must have been scary, right? Because at the time, we didn't know if it was going to work or not. Did you have to like prepare for it before and say, at least I've got those buffers in place while I'm trying this new strategy? Um, to be honest, at that period in my life, I definitely wasn't strategizing much on business. I just knew that I was tired of my brand name being mentioned after the celebrity. Um, it was like my brand and how well I did was solely connected to where these celebrities went. And if they actually were not doing PR in that time, then they weren't wearing the brand, then they, my brand was quiet. And especially because they would also not wear anything that had already been put out. So oftentimes I'd have to wait to put out something until the celebrity wore it. And that could be any amount of time. So it was more like, um, who's actually controlling my business and who owns this business? Is it me or is it the celebrity out there? So yeah, um, I didn't have to think twice about it. It was just about this is my company and I make the decisions. And how did they take it? I'm sure you had a good pool that you used to call on and you were working with or collaborating with. And then think, all of a sudden you're like, no more. I think it was a, a good time. I think it was a very sort of neutral thing because they could see that my designs were changing and their styles were also changing. So I think it was just one of those things. It was a natural I wanted to move away from sort of those custom made, very grand red carpet pieces only for a traditional, only for like a grand function to things that people could wear when they were on holiday and day to day. So mm. both brands were changing and we weren't changing in the same direction. So it made mm. sense to go separate ways. That's really incredible. I think one thing that really fascinates me about how you move is how intentional you are everything and with intention every single thing with intention how did you develop that sense of intentionality because i i don't think it's something that you just wake up with and that's just who you are is it something that comes from your childhood or you had to develop it mm, so i have two answers and they might probably contradict each other but I guess with me, I try to do everything with intention, but most of it is more based on my intuition. I have a very good intuition. And sometimes I think intuition can also be very hypervigilant, meaning you're always on and you're always looking into the future. So you're always preparing for that future. Um, but I would say my upbringing made me sort of very hypervigilant and just, yeah, it, it helped me grow an intuition and I trust my intuition. I've, I'm a very, I'm very much a free spirit. So only I would say probably since 2021 have I really started planning. I was more just going with the flow and now I've started like, okay, this is actually what I want to build. Mm -hmm. 
Your, your childhood was very interesting, really. You were born in Zambia, raised in Botswana for some part of your life, and mm -hmm. then moved to Limbobo in South Africa. So mm -hmm. literally, that's three different countries mm -hmm. um, in sub-Saharan Africa. So you talk about how much of your gut feel and intuition comes from your childhood. Which part of that do you know? Can you trace it to say this was the part and the point in my life where this was nurtured? Um, I wouldn't say that there was a particular part in my life where that was nurtured, but my parents, we grew up traveling a lot. So every weekend, as often as they could, we would be traveling to Zambia or to Zim or to South Africa or Namibia. We just traveled a lot. And when they weren't traveling, my parents were both teachers, um, we would be making stuff. So we would be helping my mom or my dad to mark, or my mom was a woodworker. So we would always be like just doing all kinds of things, making swings in the yard, gardening. I had a very broad upbringing, so to speak. I also went to one of those schools where things like weaving was a subject or calligraphy writing. So I just had a childhood which introduced me to a lot of different things. So I tried out many different things, and also, um, and also my and also my mom was very much a weirdo. <laughs> She'll probably watch this and be like, "What?" But she was always very much independently herself. So growing up watching that just lets you develop your own personality, sort of from the get go, and you trust yourself and you don't try to fit in. So because I never did fit in, because I'm from so many different places, and I have so many different experiences. I never had that box where my where I didn't have my intuition. Mm. I was just raised able to access it. And how do you know or differentiate between intuition and people's voices and being confused by what's ha happening around you or fear? Because sometimes you think, oh my gut feeling says, don't do this. And it's just fear that's trying to stop you for from from going on so how do you differentiate amongst all of those different feelings as an entrepreneur so i am actually just coming out of a sabbatical and taking that time out at first it was forced time out because my mind just couldn't handle it anymore and then i took i took the time out and a lot of what i've been working on is getting to access my intuition. But another thing that's also very important to me is God. So God has always directed my ways and I've taken time off to really invest my time in spending a lot of time with God so that I can be able to differentiate between the different voices that I hear. And I do have quite a lot of voices in my head. So I do have to have differentiate between that. Another thing that I do is I really take my time with my decisions now. I think in the early years of entrepreneurship, when you're still really hustling, that's not a luxury that you have. But now I'm able to really take my time with my decisions. I'm able to pray for on it. I'm able to ask myself, why do you want this if you want this? Is this an outside expectation? Is this you going with what society says you're supposed to have achieved by this stage? Or what direction is this actually moving you towards your big goal or not? Mm. And talking about your early years, I, I always look at your story and think, listen, you are one 
epitome of patience. You started in twenty seven in two thousand seven rather when you were taking your gap year. Uh, from school, that's when you started making clothes and you were making matric dance dresses for people within your community. And then when you went to tertiary, you continued making clothes to to make money. And it took you not until 2016, that's nine years of working from your bedroom or wherever you lived to be able to run the business. And at that time, people knew who Rich Factory was, the kind of clothes you were making, some of the big names that we spoke about earlier that you were you were dressing were also being dressed and you were making clothes out of your bedroom. That is so much patience. For all those nine years when you were working from home, did you not feel like, ah, man, I need to scale now. It's been too long. You didn't feel frustrated to say, let me just get my store now. Let me move. How did you like just say, I'm going to sit and this is it? Yeah. Um, well, at that time, I didn't even know it was like scale because one of my things, and I, I, I think it's a big problem in the, in the fashion education that I had at the time, was that when you studied fashion, you either chose the design stream or the commercial business stream. So I chose design because I wanted to be a designer, but they taught you to be an employee. They don't give you any business skills whatsoever. So I went out into the world just knowing how to sew and knowing how to make things look pretty, and that was my only intention. So even though I was building a business, I was not building it with sort of that foresight. In fact, I was hoping to get hired by somebody as a designer and I was sort of working on this while I was waiting for somebody to then say, hey, um, you want to come work for us? I didn't see myself with my own name sort of at Fashion Week. I thought that I would probably go work for an international designer. That's what I was going for. And then in... 2016 or was it 15 we had done so many so many pop-ups by then and there was a great demand for the store and my house was always busy like there were constantly people in my house and I did not want that anymore so I got the shop very sp spontaneously I went for dinner in Parkhurst and it was probably only like my second time in Parkhurst and I walked the streets and I just was like why not and I took pictures of the toilet signs and I called the landlord on Monday and made a payment on Monday and I was just like we're out of the house we're moving into a store mm. yeah that's really interesting what impact did that jump have on the business at the time because all of a sudden, you've got new rental. Now you need stuff to mend the shop. Now you need processes. You need more inventory to keep in the store compared to if you're just running from your house. Yeah. So at the time, inventory was pretty good because we used to have pop-ups almost every weekend. So I was always making stuff. Um, and there was just a lot of cash flow. There was a lot of cash flow. So it was easy to do up the store. And like I said, I come from a family where people make furniture, build things. So it was a lot of DIY in terms of partitioning the store, making, getting the rails up and all of that. So that part was easy, taking furniture from home and putting it into the store. Um, that took about, I think, two months and then we we launched in the December and 
yeah, it, it made business better because when we were at home, people needed to book an appointment to come to the house, even though it was open from nine to five. And so it was really just taking the store that had been in my house into a shop. And then, of course, it was a great location. So there was a whole lot more foot traffic. And I think it made people trust the brand more to be in a store. Mm. I, I read something that really made me resonate um, when I was doing research on you, that in one article you said that when you were first starting, you were not doing business the way business should be done. So much that your output was um, impacted because of how you're running business. You get money instead of buying material, for example, you know, used for your rent or whatever it is that you need to use, use it for. It ended up being personal and it impacted even your client deliveries, you know, where the work ended up being substandard. How did you realize that uh -uh, this is not the way business should be done and I need to change this? Otherwise, I'm going to have to close my doors because I imagine if clients or some clients are already feeling like, nah, man, something is off here. But because of how you're running the business, they might not come back and they might be telling other people on the streets that don't go to that girl because she doesn't do, do great work. How did you like say, uh-uh? This is not it. And at what point did you say this? I'm going to change and be better. I think at, at the end of the day, over time, everybody gets better. And that's if you hold yourself to a high standard. So as time grew, as I grew older, I started holding myself to a higher standard. Um, and I love for my products to be of excellence, whatever business or whatever I'm doing to be at a point of excellence and that's just something that developed naturally over time for me I would also say probably spending time with my mom contributed to that because when I was sewing for myself my mom would always say mm -mm, unpick that and also another thing is having a very public um, business it's it's very much on social media people are quick with the they call them twitter fingers so you wouldn't want that to go out into the world so already you want to make sure that everybody gets a great product so that you don't get that into the world. So I tested different options. Sometimes I had in-house tailors. Sometimes I used a CMT, but a CMT would make the product so expensive. And then I'd go back to tailors. So it took training tailors, getting a level of finishing that you want. It, took, it takes time. I think that's one thing that's important to take out of it is that it takes time and it is a process. Yeah, that's really incredible. And you're talking about time and how if you take certain decisions, it can make the product more expensive brings me to um, a conversation around pricing confidence. I think one of the reasons most entrepreneurs struggle at the beginning is because we don't price our products or services right. Um, if I think about me and when I started my business, especially because I'm in the services space, somebody would come and say, oh, how much is this? I give them a price and be like, no, I've got 8,000 rand and something was 12,000 rand. But because I'm young and eager and want to get it done, I take that 8,000 rand and at the end of the day, then impacted my well-being, impacted the, the level at which my business was growing impacted my family because now I'm not happy. Um, and my husband is like, you're not happy. So, and what you're doing makes you unhappy. 
for what? What's the sacrifice? Because they're not even making that much money anyway. So what's the point? And I find that a lot of young entrepreneurs really struggle for that because we're always on some, I want to get my clients. I want to have clients. I'd rather have a client than no client whatsoever. But the question is, at what cost are you doing that? How did you get to a point to say, I am going to price, this is my product. I'm going to price it like this and get on board or you're not my customer? My price range has changed quite a lot over the years. When we first started, Rich Factory was quite cheap. It was quite an affordable um, brand, and that was based off of my affordability. I would think to myself, okay, what could somebody like me afford? And then as it grew into a celebrity brand, I then made it more celebrity-type pricing and then as we changed into a ready wear price and things were being mass produced that's the price that I was able to meet people at now a mass produced price but like you said um, every periods change so for example during COVID then the pricing was different because I knew that people couldn't afford as much and when things were happening in the economy then we would have a whole lot more sales because people would save up to be able to buy at a sale price and then there's also the having different products across different price ranges so there's a entry-level rich factory uh, client who just wants to be able to have the brand in their wardrobe and that's something that they know that they aspire to. So there's garments that are priced at an entry level. And then there's for the collectors, those are the more higher priced garments that are for the collector. In terms of um, confidence, my advice to somebody starting out to be, what is your network? Know your network because they're the ones who are going to build your business. So can your network actually afford your product right now? And then as they grow, you grow with them. Does the network really help grow your business? Because I've found that it's people outside who become my clients more than my inner circle. Or maybe I'm just in the wrong spaces. But I always find that it's like acquaintances and friends of friends who will jump on something that I'm selling or pushing compared to my everyday squad. Yeah, but that is your network. So my network. So your acquaintance, extended. it is going to be mm. your acquaintances and your friends of friends, you know, who are going to jump on and you need to know what it is that they can afford because those, otherwise you're marketing to who? You know, there's Facebook ads and there's all of that, but that's going to take people seeing it over time to trust you. Yes, and once those people who can afford more have seen you over time and they trust you, then you level up. And now 2016, all those great things happen. What have you been up to between then and now? I stayed pretty consistent from 2016 until 2016. 19. I didn't really make any bold changes. I worked with a lot of brands. Not working with brands was also a decision that I decided to make at the, I think it was at the end of 2020. I decided to take a break, break from working with brands. I am open to working with brands now, but very particular. Um, and mostly the business was driven by 
brands. And another thing that I wanted to do is I wanted the business to be driven by what we were making so that if brand work did dry up, I wasn't now just like, oh, I actually don't have a business. What I actually have is an Instagram following that I was monetizing. So in 2019, we, we did a rebranding but it wasn't just a rebranding it was a brand repositioning so when you do a brand repositioning it's changing your position on the market what kind of brand you appear to your customers as so that meant changing the finish of the product changing the logo changing the entire store the the way the look and feel changing the online store changing the experience of it and that's because I wanted Rich Factory to now be a premium African resort wear brand and we were moving towards taking the company international. So I needed it to be a brand that could compete at that level. That was 2021. This is after COVID. Because COVID, we had to pivot. We went more online than we were in store. And then come 2021, we wanted to push people back outside and into the store. And then um, 2022... I was super overwhelmed because the business was bigger than it had ever been. I had more employees than I had ever had, and I actually lost my mind. <laughs> I ended up in Akesu, which is a mental health hospital. And when I came back, I said, when I got out, I said, I'm going to go to Bali for two months. That was my plan. But when I got out, because I am si such an, a high achiever, and um, what I actually did is I got a factory space and a very big factory space. And um, I got a studio space for my second business. And so that we could always have a space to shoot our new catalog and they could it could always be uniformed. And then we had the store. And as the year went on, the depression just hit because I was so unhappy with running business at that capacity level. And... Um, I was pulled in so many different directions. So yeah, I went into a deep depression and then my autoimmune condition was also triggered. So essentially last year, I spent four to six months just sort of in bed. And then this year I decided to close down the store and take an official sabbatical, which I did and only now recently getting back into business. Mm. Yeah, you know, I think a lot of entrepreneurs do suffer from depression. And sometimes at the, the moment you crush, it would have been building up for way longer because signs are there, but you keep on ignoring it time and time and time again because, like, I'm this high achiever. I'm going to be okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. And ignoring it until you can't get out of bed anymore. Um, I also got depressed. I think we, we were suffering from depression at almost the same time. It was also for me in 2021 where I had massive, massive depression. 2021 and a bit of 2022. I remember... Um, not being able to get out of bed. I was not motivated. Uh, my client work suffered. I, I was no longer creative or innovative. You know, I would fight with Mongezi each time he wanted to open the curtains. I, I remember spending weeks without even being onto the porch outside of my house. Weeks on weeks on end. Uh, I had thousands of unread WhatsApp messages. You'd call me, you'll not find me. I remember one day I, I just woke up and I found my mom sitting outside. 
I'm like, what's going on? It's like, I'm, I've been so worried and you don't answer phones. I don't know what's wrong. So I just decided to just come. I don't know if you're home or not. Everything is locked. So I was just going to sit here until, until dark. Uh, and depression gets so tough that if you don't have the, 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 the fight in you, to number one, realize that something is wrong and I need to do something about it. And number two, let me fight for, for myself and my life and get out of it. You can be stuck there forever and you won't be able to come out and be yourself again. So that decision that you took to say, let me seek help, what drew you, drove you to that? How long did it take until you realized that? Let me seek help. So when I look back on my depression journey, I would say that it probably started in um, 2019. So this was a personal triggered thing. At the time, my father had had two strokes. So watching somebody who was so strong, you know, deteriorate and essentially grieving them while they were still alive was very emotionally hard on me. And also I put this pressure on myself that I wanted to achieve these certain things in my parents' lifetime. I wanted to be able to give them certain luxuries and give them a certain lifestyle and I put and also to see for them to both see me achieve to a certain level. So that's why up until that time I was extremely driven. Um, and then another thing that added to that was I was struggling with um, infertility because of the autoimmune condition. So I really, really wanted a child, but I worked. So what I did to fill my time was that I worked. And I worked so hard until I got to the point where I had no friends, I had no social life, and I never used to have fun. So all for fun, I would work. I actually really enjoyed working, but I needed to have time when my mind switched off. Um, so the first time that I had a psychotic episode, it actually just happened. I was really, really stressed out at work. And I mean, when you've reached that level, there's nothing to do but admit you. So I didn't have that awareness that I was depressed because I never stopped to really think or look up, even though I was somebody who used to meditate and do yoga and go walking. And I was a very peaceful person, but I didn't have that awareness that I was depressed. So when I was admitted into a case, then they were like, okay, this is the issue. You've got depression and you have anxiety. And I was like, oh, okay, that's that's what's going on with my body. So I went on my medication and I got out and I was very happy because the medication was perfect and it was working. And as it was working, I decided, oh, okay, let me take, at the time, I think it was August. And it was cold and I was like, you know what, we've put out this collection, I have all these employees, let me take some time off. But the issue for me was that I went from extremely constant work, always being busy, to actually having nothing to do with the day. And that made me then start to use my thinking, not for entrepreneurship purposes, but to actually dwell on the negative things and experiences that I had had. So I just kept in that cycle, and in that cycle I made the decision to also get off my medication, and then I just got into a very deep, depression. And because I was already a loner, I don't think anybody was able to recognize it. So I had to eventually recognize it after a few months because people thought, oh, she's just resting, you know, this is her way of taking time off. 
And then after some time, I had to be like, no, I need to get back on this medication because I'm not okay. Yeah, so I think that depression is a big fight. And unfortunately, people can try and help you, but nobody can actually take you out of it except yourself. And I always say it is the fight of a lifetime. You are literally fighting for your life. So keep taking steps forward. Whatever that little step is that you can do in one a day, you just need to keep taking those steps forward. And the more you do it, these things then become systems. And the more you work on your mindset, the more you start to believe those motivational videos. Because there was a period where I was watching my motivational videos and I was just like, oh, this is nonsense. This is, you guys are talking crap. You know, and as somebody who used to put out so many of those motivational videos, I'd be like, damn, is this how far I've come? So sometimes even just listening to those things in my sleep, trying to sort of hypnotize my subconscious until it got to a level where I could believe it. Mm. Mm. You say that you had a, a psychotic break. How did that manifest itself? So when my psychotic break happened, it was actually the day after my 33rd birthday. And I had put so much pressure on this 33rd birthday. It's my Jesus year, you know. I want to be so aligned spiritually. I want to understand what life is about. I want to be at the top of my game. I want to have all my trauma figured out. And I had, like, I was like, by 33, this is what's going to happen. And it's almost like I woke up on the morning after my 33rd birthday and I just had this wave that, I can I can say the the veil was either lifted it was lifted but I couldn't believe that this was my reality. It's kind of like I had been living in a bubble and this reality had just been lifted. But what happened what other people could see was that I I was being very paranoid. So I remember I came out of my bedroom because I decided to take the day off and my mother-in-law was there and I was like no, the helper has bewitched us. She's done something to us and she lawyered us. And now I was like, no, I got to go. I got to go. So I started calling um, my family to, to come pick me up and nobody was taking the calls. And I tried to get an Uber and Uber just wasn't working. So I decided, okay, I'm just going to go. And then I left the house. and But before I did that, I chased um, the helper away. But the weird thing is, she was laughing. So when I started doing this, she was laughing. So there's nothing anybody could say to me to say, no, Rina, you know, something's happening to you because I'm like, but look at her, she's also laughing. Um, then I went, um, as I got out the yard, my brothers were there and I made them, they had my car. So luckily I couldn't, I couldn't drive out because they had my car. So as I got out, they, they drove up and I was like, okay, this is what ha what's happening. My helper has bewitched me and something's going to happen. You have to hide me. Let's go somewhere, you know. And we drove around and then I was like, we have to pick up my mom from work. Like I was really acting crazy. And then we went to pick up my mom from work. And then eventually after they had driven me and driven me, now we, I was on the run and I had them convinced that Kibuloi, you know, we come from African backgrounds, so it's very easy to say Kibuloi. And then at some point I was like, you know what, guys, take me to the hospital. I actually calmed down and I laughed and I was like, nah, I'm losing my mind. Because losing my mind had been one of my greatest fears for a long time coming. So I was like, oh, okay, this is... This is what's happening. So they took me to Mill Park 
And when I was there, I saw a trauma counselor. And then he said to me, go see a psychologist. Because the doctor came in and the doctor was just like, no, I can just give you um, an injection and you can go home. And the trauma counselor actually was standing behind the doctor and he shook his head. He shook his head and I was like, what do I trust in this moment? Because I'm also thinking I'm going to die. I'm thinking something's going to happen. But I was like, no, it's fine. I'll, I'll call. I had a therapist at the time. Um, I'll call her. And then my sister then uh, said she found, I told her that, okay, I'm trying to call a psychologist. The trauma counselor gave me a psychologist number, but they're not picking up. And I had never even heard of Akesu. I didn't even know that that was an option. My sister knew about it and she called. And yeah, from the hospital, I went to Akesu and I stayed there freaking out for a couple of days for the medication to kick in. I would try hide under my bed because I really thought like people were coming for me, you know, people wanted me dead or they wanted to sacrifice me or whatever. So over, I, I think I was admitted on like a Thursday and it was a public holiday on the Friday. So I couldn't actually see a psychologist until the Monday. So I wasn't really medicated so I was just like staying calm, trying, I was medicated, but with sort of what they could give me that wasn't prescribed by a psychologist. And then, yeah, over the, that period talking and then when I came out learning what my triggers are, because I was actually diagnosed with schizophrenia and knowing what actually triggered the schizophrenia, so just making lifestyle cha changes. And what kind of lifestyle changes have you had to then make to ensure not to bring up those triggers um okay not having any thc because that just made me be more paranoid and um i do not watch anything dark and scary because then that plays like i said i have a lot of voices in my mind but thankfully i use them for my creativity so whatever i am giving myself access to and the content i'm taking in becomes one of the voices in my mind. So even if I am around people who believe that um, somebody is doing witchcraft on you, if they're talking about it, I take myself out of that space because that's a trigger for me. So for example, at the time when I did have that psychotic episode with my helper, there was somebody in my life who was constantly calling her a witch, you know? They were always like, yeah, she's a witch, she's a witch, she's a witch. So that, that voice, then came in the back of my mind. So also learning to know, because I'm not a negative person by nature. So when I start having that voice, then I can just say, no, this is actually a trauma. This is not real. How do these voices come to you? Cause I'm trying to imagine, do you like hear them or you start having these different types of thoughts? about a I've just always had a lot of voices in my head. I didn't even know that people don't. I thought everybody have has like a continuous conversation back and forth between different voices in their head. So I just have lots of different conversations going on within each other. It's not like a dark voice that's saying, Bleh. no, it's not like that. It's just like, mm, this person is trying to do this and this, don't trust them. So I know based off of my history and how I grew up, why it is that it's very difficult for me to trust people. And then I have to then sort of discern if 
I really shouldn't be trusting this person or if it's just one of my traumas showing up. You, you, you've you mentioned before that, you know, you've got an autoimmune disease, it's lupus. Um, mm-hmm. At what point did you realize that you've got lupus? The lupus journey has been uh, a long and tricky one. And sometimes I think that I manifested it because we are powerful creators of good and bad in our lives. I started having these um, lumps in 2009. They were just like lumps. And when I first went to the doctors, they said it was probably bruises. You know, it was nothing big. They didn't want to do anything about it. But as they began to develop on different parts of my body, um, I went for a biopsy in 2011 and they still said, no, it's nothing. Well, they, they couldn't tell what it was from the biopsy. They could say it's just fat and tissue that just gathered together, you know. And over time, I went for CAT scans and all kinds, so all kinds of doctors trying to figure out what these lumps were. But when I look at it in hindsight, it really wasn't a big deal. It was just cosmetic at the time. And it was just, it was literally, it would look like I had a bruise and I had a bump on my skin. Um, so I think in that digging, then I started creating something, you know, because I was digging so hard. And then I remember I got a kidney infection and sometimes my hips would just really hurt. And I met this lady and I told, and she was on crutches. I was doing, she was a client. I was doing a dress for her at the time. And she was like, oh, okay, I have lupus and this is how it started. And I was like, oh, okay, maybe this is what I have. So I started doing more research on it and really obsessing over it and going to the doctors and saying, this is what I think I have. And that's when it really started to manifest into the illness that it is now. But over time, um, Doctors have, after diagnosing me in 2018, doctors have come back and said, we don't really think it's lupus. We think it's more of a connective tissue disorder, but nobody has been able to give me answers. So the last diagnosis that I have is lupus. And how does it affect your day-to-day life? Because it's something that is happening with your body and you're not sure it might be lupus, maybe it's something else, but... It's affecting your Yeah, it your is. Daily Last life. year, it really, really affected my day-to-day life because I could barely walk. I couldn't stand up without somebody lifting me up. My legs were very weak. So even say if I have to go to the bathroom, somebody has to help me down and somebody has to lift me up And when I go back to bed. So that really affected it. Um, I also got a huge flare-up on my skin, which is still healing. And I went from having this very beautiful, flawless skin to having this very discolored rash and um, sores sores and gaping wounds on my body. And I was the face of the business at the time. So I couldn't model. So that messed with being able to get the brand name out there and also just my confidence levels. I really just wanted to hide for the longest time. So it did... um, mess with my confidence. I'm still working on re-bringing my confidence back to life, but literally I'm one of those people who was just born very confident, so it's not too, too much of a struggle. But yeah, there were definitely 
things that were a physical aspect that were hard to deal with. And you mentioned earlier that lupus or this autoimmune uh, disease that you're struggling with has also affected your wanting to start a family and build, which was part of your, your triggers. Have you then now been able to accept it for what it is? Or have you just said, okay, it is what it is. It will happen if it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. I have a little girl. Do you? Yes, I, I do. I know you got a real girl. I got a little girl. Her name is Con Rainbow. Congratulations. Mm -hmm. When? Um, She came home in... 2021 March so she's adopted oh congratulations yeah, we, thank you congratulations we started the journey in 2019 and then we were matched in 2021 yeah she's three so yeah I have a child um for me having a child was not based on genetics you know we wanted to go the IVF route but we decided to go to Bali instead with the money. <laughs> yeah, and then we, when we came back from Bali, then my husband said, okay, cool, let's do the adoption. Mm -hmm. And yeah, she is absolutely perfect and hilarious. And I will show you some videos of her after. She's quite the character. Oh my goodness, that's really beautiful. I, I'm so glad that that's something that you were open to. And it goes back to understanding and being grounded in in who you are because that could also be a trigger right if mm -hmm. you're like just dwelling on it every single day saying i want to get pregnant naturally and then you get you know obsessed over it then you'll crash again yeah instead of like opening your mind up and say there's so many avenues of becoming parents and avenues of, of of growing yeah absolutely and i think a lot of people do get stuck on that i've encountered a lot of people who have said no you know I'm, I'm I'm infertile and I'm trying and I'm trying and it's it's just like why do you what is at the core of why you really want a child and I mean if if you want a biological child then that's okay too but I think that there are so many amazing ways to become mm -hmm. a mother or a father if you want yeah. and you're open to them there's so many things that you you've been through throughout your, your business journey. How have you been able to still keep the doors open and keep selling when you as the founder have to take sabbaticals and, and remove yourself? Because I think a lot of small businesses, you'll find that the founders are the businesses. Yep. <laughs> um, it's not actually a business. I'd always say you are just working for yourself where if we were to remove you out of the equation, there is no business. Everything immediately, not even in 30 days, immediately the day you are out, that's it. It ends with you on that day. What kind of pillars or systems have you put in your business that allow you to continue trading even when you are not there? So last year, um, my mom then retired and they moved to Joburg. It was sort of late stages of my dad's condition. So we decided that they must move to Joburg to be closer. And my mom then started working on the business, which is what allowed me to take a step back. And um, I think having the team in in place allowed me to do that because now I didn't have to manage my social media anymore. I didn't have to manage the online store. There was a brand, uh, there was a social media manager. 
There was somebody to do the logistics. There was somebody for, for everything. And my mom was managing that and being a leader over the team. And then it got to the point where the scale was just too big. Even though there was a team, it just, in my mind, felt too big. And I had to say to everybody, I cannot anymore. Like, I cannot hold this anymore. It's too big for me to hold right now. So we're going to stop. And when I feel ready to go again, I will. So what I was doing for the last couple of months is I was just keeping the business alive enough to not, like just for my most basic needs to be covered. So some of the decisions I made was things like I sold my car back because obviously I was no longer going to be working so hard that I could have a car payment and the insurance and the motor plan. So then I wouldn't have to work that hard to keep it open. If I didn't have a physical store that I had to pay rent for, that's an expense that was off my books, you know? So everything that I could let go of, I did, just so that I could make my expenses less. And then I just worked on, and my dresses cost, if I only need to sell three dresses a month, then that's what I'm selling. Until I got to the point in where I am now, where there's certain things that I want more of. So... I am now creating the space and opening up the business to receive more of. So, for example, um, when I closed the business, I stayed with my one one tailor and um, the shop assistant who would pack the orders. And when we decided to slow down even further, I started packing the orders and I completely let go of a store phone. Because one of the things that the the store assistant would do would be to be replying to people on WhatsApp and taking calls and things like that. And that was no longer business that we needed to do. So I started packing orders and then my tailor then became a part-time tailor. And then he started working from home. And then that wasn't working because he had two jobs at the time and the quality of the garments that he was producing for me part-time were not working. So I said, okay, come back to me full-time. And since he's now back full-time, I'm able to take on more work and, yeah, move forward. So how do you then balance the orders coming in and what you are able to do at the time? So if they keep on sending those DMs and emails ordering, do you say we, we're full or you say we're currently not taking orders? Because also you don't want people to think that you're never coming back. Yeah, I'm, I've been very open with my journey. And I would say we are downscaling right now. Please check back. Just keep an eye on our social media. I'll share when we are really back at flow and what we have available. And I think that's so impressive because it is honesty with people in your community that support your work. Because sometimes if you try to bullshit it, them they they see through it right but if you're honest with your journey and say i'm downscaling this is what's going on i'll be back mm -hmm. when you do come back they'll be the first to also pick up the phone and come into the store or online store whatever it is and and make the purchases that they they need to make yeah. and you've never felt like oh i'm oversharing because sometimes people then get scared of that oh they're gonna know too much i don't want the customers to know too much let me just keep this information away from them I'm constantly being told I'm oversharing. Constantly, constantly. But I really don't care. Like, that's... I was... You know, I, I was listening to this podcast the other day and this lady was saying I was made for the dark. And what she meant by that is she's a therapist. 
So she's like, she's happy to go to dark places with people and pull them out of it. And I was like, oh, girl, I'm not made for the dark. But one thing I am made for is being vulnerable. Like when I share, it's, it's like I'm breathing. It makes me feel alive. It's something that helps me. And I was made that way. So, yeah, I, I don't mind sharing pretty much everything. So what's next now for you personally and for Reach Factory, knowing what you know now and being in a much healthier and happier space? Okay. Um, I spent a lot of time really thinking about what it is that I wanted to do. And I remember last year, it was December, and I was sitting on my, on my steps, at the steps of the store, crying. And I was like, I hate this. And I was like, but I created this. So if I created this and I now no longer like it, then why don't I create something that I do like? And I took a lot of time out trying to separate Rich Factory, the brand, Rich Factory, this business that my father had named and now my father had, has just passed away, you know, my family legacy. And um, the burdens that were on my shoulder as a breadwinner and just really looking at what it is that I now, at 33, wanted to do with my life versus this 19, 17-year-old girl's dream, right? So I discovered that I love writing. So I've been putting my writing out there and applying for writing jobs. And I want to write a book, but I, want, I would like to start with a column. And um, I w I've recently started falling back in love with fashion again. Like this morning, I had a fabric run, and for the longest time last year, I would look at fabric and see absolutely nothing. I would not be inspired. Sorry, I want to swear. I would not be inspired. So lately, I've been looking at fabrics again and just seeing beautiful clothes again. If you had asked me a few months ago, I would have said I do not want to be in the fashion industry at all. But now I want to do fashion and what I'd like to do is build a creative agency. That's what I'm working on now. I'm just in the very early stages of creating it. And the reason why I'm actually comfortable talking about it is because I like to put things out in the universe confidently. So I am building a creative agency that will hopefully help brands like myself get into boutique stores internationally or even locally in different places. That's, that's what I'm looking at. Um, I thought that I would reopen a store in maybe Linden or maybe go back to Parkhurst again, but I actually decided I'd rather go to Bali. So I would like to go open a store in Bali. And yeah, I think my thinking has just expanded because I was thinking within, like I said, the dreams of a 17-year-old. And now I have a more global experience. I've been, I've been have had access to go and see the world and I'd like to go out into it mm, that's beautiful when we end off this podcast we like to do what we call fast five so it's when I ask five questions and you can answer in one word or a sentence or even two sentences okay that sounds so fun. Fast five. First one is what is it that you now know for sure what do you know for sure eh, that if I'm betting I'm betting on myself yeah, I can always bet on myself. Mm. And what have you had to unlearn to build who you are today? I am still unlearning it, but it is my allowing myself to be seen because 
I have a big sort of purpose in the world, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I want to be seen. So I have to grant myself that permission to step into it. What describes your current state of mind? Hmm, that's that's a tough one. What describes my current state of mind? <sighs> ah, at ease. And I have not been able to say that I've been saying that this year I want ease for myself, I want ease for myself. But I think I'm finally accepting a lot of the things that have been challenging for me and I'm easing into them. That's powerful. And what is your current biggest wish? If you were to say, if this were to be one thing I wish for right now, this is it. Mm. Yeah, content. No, I definitely have have wishes, but uh, mm. yeah, can't answer that one. Mm. I can answer it to you, but it mm. can't be on on the show. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Sometimes it's okay to to protect um, some wishes and some things we want deep down, um, because sometimes we need to get comfortable with them ourselves and. We need time to process and sometimes some of the things that we wish for the most we are not sure if they can happen or they're gonna happen so it's difficult to i'm so sorry it's difficult to sometimes say those wishes out loud because you know i like never have it i wish for it but i might not ever have it you know so so I respect that um, and I'm putting it out in the universe for you I wish it for you whatever it is that is in your heart that you're wishing for I wish it for you and I pray that God grants it to you I pray that it's something that you're able to receive receive it in good time where you can experience it honor it have joy with it and may it become exactly what you envision it to be and more. It'll happen, whatever it is. Would you mind if I say a quick prayer? Yeah. Oops. Heavenly Father, I would like to come before your throne right now and ask for you to grant Rina whatever wish she has in her heart. You know her more intimately than anyone else knows her. Even more than she knows herself. You know what kind of impact this would have in her life. You know what kind of joy it will bring her in her life. And you say, come to me in prayer and in faith and ask for anything. And whatever it is that you ask for shall be granted. So I'm claiming in this moment that promise that you have given to us. The wish and prayer that Rina has in her heart may it be granted because you say if we come to you our prayers are answered so at this moment I just want to give a prayer of thanks and say thank you glory to God hallelujah for this wish has been granted and this prayer has been answered thank you Lord Jesus Amen. Amen. Sorry, sorry.
Thank you for honoring me. I'm so honored you did, man. And I think it it also shows me how much I shouldn't take this for granted. Um, so thank you. You only asked me four questions. Not I five. asked you four, yes. And not five. Should we do the five? Number five. Yeah, we can do it. You haven't turned off yet? Yeah. Okay. I've even forgotten about number five. <laughs> I'm going to ask you something light. Fifth and final question on the first five. You were to, if you were to give advice to any entrepreneur right now who's trying to build something, what would it be? Oh, so much advice. Only one? One or a sentence, <laughs> or you can like sum it up. <laughs> okay. Firstly, get all the free content that you can. There's YouTube videos and podcasts available. People are willing to teach you so much free stuff and learn to speak the language of the business that you're in. Like if you're trying to be an entrepreneur, listen to business podcasts because they will really open up your mind. So it's all about putting your brain, like the brain has... I can't remember what it's called, different neural pathways or whatever, it's always growing. So even if you think you're not so smart, I failed my way through high school, primary school and tertiary, but I'm such an intelligent person now and that's because I, I'm an autodidact, I gain information from every avenue that I can. So empower yourself with all the free information and books that, that you can. And then secondly is be aware of the season that you are in sometimes you are in a hustling stage and then sometimes it is time to reap the rewards and you can just cruise but have the foresight to look forward and say you know what probably in two to three years i need to start hustling again so let me get my mindset right let me start planting new seeds because i won't be able to eat off of these old seeds and know that i'm gonna need to pivot my business so yeah look to the future while enjoying the present and knowing exactly what season you're in Thank you so much, Rina, for agreeing, first and foremost, for this type of sit-down where we talk business, but we talk humanity as well. Yeah. Um, I honor you for that. Thank you. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much. I thank appreciate you. I had you. a great time. I love to talk. So. Oh, thank mm -hmm. you, man. From the Cliffside Boutique Getaway, this podcast is for all entrepreneurs, leaders, and genies who are looking to learn from those who've walked the path to success. Thank you so much for your support and stay tuned to more Access Genie. New episodes drop every Monday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and of course, on YouTube. Follow us on social media and share this podcast with your friends and your family so they too can be empowered. I hope you're living with a newfound source of energy to go after that life that you want. Good luck.